Good morning. One second. Alana, can you come up here for a second? Friends don't keep secrets, so I'll tell you what I just shared. Uh, my laptop is dying, so we need to rescue it. I tried sharing the gospel with it. It's not believing it, so we're going to get a charger and see if that works better. Uh, it's good to have you here this morning. It's great to be able to worship with you. Uh, I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. As you do so, I'll introduce myself in case we've not met. My name is Pastor Dan. I'm the youth pastor here. I've uh, been here for quite a while, 15 years attending this church, and I'm very grateful for that fact. Uh, it's my privilege to be able to share from God's Word this morning in our series of Shine the Light. Uh, Pastor Greg introduced the concept to us a couple weeks ago that Christ in us reveals Christ to our community. So what Pastor Dave did last week was start a new series on how. How does Christ in us reveal Christ to our community? What he shared from Matthew chapter 20 was that Jesus frees us so we can be servants who reveal him. It's my duty to continue that theme of shine the light and how Christ in us reveals Christ to our community. Thank you. I'm going to give it one second just to plug in. Sorry about that. Perfect. Thank you, Dan. Awesome. All right. So as I continue shine the light and talk about how Christ in us reveals Christ to our community, something stuck out to me. I've been thinking about the next year of shining the light, about all that we hope God does, all we want God to do in us and through us, who we all want to be, what we want to do together, everything that we hope takes place in this next year. And something struck me that burdened me for a particular aspect of our unity with Christ, the Christ in us that we're talking about. What struck me was how many people around me are exhausted. I'm not necessarily talking about physically exhausted, and hopefully you're not. We're here at the second service. I mean, you got to sleep in, so that's good. What I'm talking about is more of like a soul-level spiritual exhaustion. So what I did is I wrote out some different kinds of exhaustion or tired about certain things. And as I read through, I want you to be thinking if this describes you at all. What I've been thinking a lot about is being tired of fighting against a changing culture or tired of fighting against an unchanging culture, tired of seeing good morals erode, tired of seeing friends and family walk away, tired of seeing leaders fall, tired of hypocrisy, tired of seeing people get hurt, tired of doing good and reaping evil, tired of trying to make friends, tired of being rejected, tired of discussions where it seems everyone is already picked aside, tired of a lack of love, tired of watching loved ones be in pain physically or emotionally, exhausted from caring for aging parents we love, exhausted from caring for children who aren't where we wish they would be, exhausted from caring for hurting people, exhausted from loss and grief, tired of feeling stuck, tired of feeling like nothing is working, tired of not being able to move on, tired of being tired. I can think of some face that goes with each one of these. And what I want to know is if any of these apply to you. Yeah, okay. This is a kind of tired that takes away your patience, takes away your passion, leaves you jaded and steals your joy. And I think even if you aren't personally tired right now, if we are really going to shine the light this year in new ways, in bigger ways, in deeper ways, if we don't prepare ourselves properly, we will be tired. So how do we guard ourselves against that? How do we prepare for everything we hope God does this year? What do we do? And if you're already tired, how do we go anywhere when it feels impossible to do anything? That's what's been on my heart when it comes to shine the light. So I can think of nothing better for us to do than to look at our Savior again with fresh eyes by looking deep into his word and seeing what he says about our spiritual exhaustion. So that's what we're going to do by looking at Colossians chapter 1. Specifically, looking in Colossians chapter 1, I believe we can find four core concepts for finding strength to keep going in a way that shines the light. 
Before we talk about those four core concepts, though, I would just love to pray. So let's take a moment and pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together to worship you, to worship in music and in prayer, in scripture reading, scripture study, hearing from your word, in giving and in fellowship. Lord, thank you for this church family and for this particular moment on this particular Sunday morning where we can come together and hear from your word. God, give me the words that you want me to speak. Give me strength, Father. Help us all to be transformed by what we're about to see. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. With these four core concepts of finding strength, what I actually want to do is start at the end of the paragraph and start with the bottom line for a couple different reasons. I think what we find in verses 13 and 14 are really the foundation of everything that comes before it. None of it makes sense before it if you don't eventually get to there. And then I want to start there because if you're tired, you need to know very quickly the foundation we're on. You need to know what is the bottom line and then we can build off of that. So looking at verses 13 and 14, it says this, He, the Father, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us, or transferred us, into the kingdom of the Son of His love, or beloved Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Your old reality was that you belong to the power of the kingdom of darkness. It's not a particularly fun idea to think about, but it's true. The idea of darkness throughout Paul's writings, think of ignorance. You can't see in the dark, so you lack knowledge. Uh, it has the idea of depravity. You're lacking morality. It has the idea of corruption. There's no light in you. The darkness is pervasive in you. You are enslaved to this darkness. This darkness is your master. Again, I don't like bringing that up, but it's important for us to think about the fact that we are all born into that state. If you look at any natural person's spiritual ID card, what you'll see for citizenship is kingdom of darkness. But if you're a Christian, there's something else at play. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Where you were enslaved to ignorance, you now have the truth in Jesus. Where you were corrupted and depraved, you have a new heart and you've been made new. The light is now in you, transforming you. If you look at your spiritual ID card as a Christian, instead of kingdom of darkness, it says kingdom of Jesus. Instead of having the old master of the darkness, we have a new master, a holy, perfect, and good master named Jesus. This was done not because you did something, but because the Father delivered you and transferred you. This is not something that you could do, but the Father chose to do it for you on behalf of the Son, and it's already been done. This is not an in-process kind of thing. This is a past tense, it's already been accomplished, transference. Already done. The bottom line in this passage is that the most important work has been done for you. If you're tired, if you've been working hard and you are exhausted in some area of life, you need to know the most important work has been done. You couldn't do it. You had no power to escape the kingdom of darkness. You had no permission to enter Jesus' kingdom and you had no capital to barter with. You had nothing. And yet, the Father did it for you, transferring your citizenship for you because Jesus died for you and rose again. Not only do you now have this Lord-servant relationship as belonging to Jesus' kingdom, you look at him as King Jesus, we sang that this morning, but you are also in him. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom... That means you have a personal relationship with Jesus. You are in him, and by extension, he is in you. You are united with Christ. And because you're united with Christ, you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You've been purchased from darkness. You belong to the light. And you have forgiveness. Your sins have been wiped away. The psalmist tells us that as far as the east is from the west, God has separated us from our transgressions. They're nowhere near us anymore. They're not hanging over our heads. They're gone. They're wiped out. 
Your old reality is your old reality. You have a new reality because God acted. So if nothing else this morning, can we just take a moment to appreciate that fact? That the most important work is done. You are his and he is yours. With redemption and forgiveness, freely, forever, you belong to God. If there's any part of you that's excited about that, can, I don't care how loud. It could be a tiny little mousy version or a nice loud one. If you're excited about the fact that your transferred citizenship is complete, God did it, you have redemption and forgiveness, can you just say amen? amen. Absolutely. If nothing else, that should cause our hearts to wonder and to marvel, cause our tired hearts to feel sparks of life and hope again. As we consider the bottom line, the most important work has been done for you. It's on that foundation that we build. What I want to talk about then is what we're working for. We know what's been done, but what do we do now? Consider for a second how important that question is. What are we working for? Imagine showing up to a new job with no training, being told no goal, being given no instruction, and possessing no earthly idea of what you're supposed to try to accomplish now. Does that sound like a good job? That was my first job out of college, and I can tell you it was not fun. I'm not going to say where I worked. That feels a little rude. But to show up every day and have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing, I had no uniform. Customers didn't even know I worked there. I'd just walk up in plain clothes, try to sell them something that I had no idea about because I never received any training. It's not fun knowing nothing. You kind of need to know what you're working for. When it comes to Christianity, we're told that we're on this life and death mission. That makes it even more important to know what we're working for. And if you're tired, it is most important to know what you're working for because you don't have a spare moment to lose. You don't have any energy to waste. Knowing what we're working for tells us what's important, tells us what direction to go in, what to spend our time and energy and resources on because all of those are limited, even more limited when we're exhausted. So to find out what we are working for, we need to go back to the beginning of the paragraph and we can find that in verse 9. And as it turns out, Verses 9 through 20 are a prayer of Paul and Timothy's that morphs around verse 15 into a doxology or a hymn. And that's what we saw in our scripture reading. This beautiful praise of Jesus Christ. But before we get there, it's Paul and Timothy saying that they're praying for something. Specifically, they are asking God that the Colossians may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Typically, when we're thinking of the knowledge of God's will, we're thinking on the level of this job or that job, this mate or that mate, this church or that church. But I think based on what we see in verses 15 through 20, what's on Paul's mind and heart first is something huge. That God's will is not first individual. It is a history-spanning, epic plan to redeem a people for himself and restore creation through his son, Jesus Christ. God's will is to choose a people and sanctify them, set them apart from the rest, pull them apart from sin, and set them for him and a relationship with him and his purposes for them. And then from then on that huge epic plan, it then boils down to individual lives of God having individual relationships with his people and growing individuals and using individuals. I think that's what Paul and Timothy have in mind when they're talking about God's will. Huge boiling down into the specific. And what Paul and Timothy are praying for is that the Colossians may be filled with the knowledge of his will, pervasively and thoroughly filled with the knowledge of what God wants to do through his son and all of humanity and all of creation and them specifically. And he wants them to be filled in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What a prayer. I think most of us would be pretty amazed if we could walk out of here this morning being filled with the knowledge of God's will, the way that I just described it, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I think we'd be pretty happy if we can walk away with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. But that's not the end of their prayer. 
Paul and Timothy are praying for this so that something else would happen. The knowledge of God's will is not an end in and of itself. It's meant to lead to something else. And what it's meant to lead to is that the Colossians may walk worthy of the Lord. The idea is that their lives would be radically and completely changed by being filled with the knowledge of God's will for his son, humanity, and them specifically, so that everything about the way they live every day would match up or align with their Lord, whom they are now united with, reflecting their Lord and his purposes and his plans and their new spiritual reality in every way they live. That's what it means to walk worthy. This isn't talking about sinless perfection. This is about faithful, loving, ongoing trust, intimacy, and dependence that leads to a fuller and fuller obedience and familial resemblance. Paul wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that this would happen. And Paul and Timothy are praying for this to happen so much so that their walk would be fully pleasing to God. The wording of fully pleasing to him has all pleasure. In every way, a fullness of pleasure in God because of our walk. This is not saying that their walk would cause them to be pleasing to God. Every Christian is pleasing to God through Christ. God the Father sees Christ's perfection on each and every one of us. We are accepted, we fully belong, because God sees Christ's perfection on us. But that doesn't make God happy with everything we do. God is not pleased with our disobedience. God is not pleased with our sin, what we label our failures and our mistakes. So what Paul is praying for with Timothy is that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that they may walk worthy of the Lord in a way that matches their unity with Christ, so much so that their walk would be pleasing to God. Their lives would be pleasing to God. Again, what a prayer. Just look how it breaks down. They're praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. How? In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? That you may walk worthy of the Lord. How worthy, Paul and Timothy? Fully pleasing him. What comes next are four participles that describe further that walk worthy of the Lord. The first two participles describe what it looks like to walk worthy of the Lord. The third describes how it happens. And the fourth tells us what we do in response. So let me just hit on the first two really quickly says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. They're praying for a type of walk, a life that does every kind of good work, and not only does every kind of good work, but bears good fruit in every kind of good work. I don't know about you, but I can definitely think of times in my life where I've done something good, and it felt it didn't do good at all. It didn't really seem like it had results. It didn't bear any fruit. They're praying that they would do all kinds of good, spend their life doing good, and that fruit would come as a result. Secondly, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, increasing in the knowledge of God. They're praying for a life that leads to a closer and closer relationship with God. Think about how beautiful these two things are together then. This walk with God that is pleasing to God is active. It's doing good and it's bearing fruit. And it's also reflective. It's looking to God and learning about God and growing closer to God. This walk, this worthy life, this life that matches our unity in Christ is an outward-facing walk where we're doing good to others. Our relationship with others is reshaped by our lives being reshaped. And it's an upward-facing walk. We're not just doing good to others, we're receiving good from God. It changes your relationship with others and it tightens your relationship with God so that every relationship in every direction is covered, growing, fruitful, and increasing. 
So if we look at all of it, what Paul and Timothy are praying for for the Colossians is that the Colossians would be wise and understanding enough to know God's will thoroughly and pervasively so that they may live their lives as a result of that wisdom and understanding in a way that matches their Lord, leading to God being completely pleased with their actions, doing every kind of good work, bearing fruit in the good works they do, growing in their relationship with God, and getting into a cycle where greater knowledge of God leads to a greater walk with God, which leads to greater knowledge of God, which leads to a greater greater walk with God, and this cycle continues of relationship-fueling holiness and holiness-fueling relationship. It's living a new life in a passionate relationship with God that is active, impactful, successful, reflective, satisfying, and ever-deepening. Does that not sound amazing? That's amazing. What we're working for are transformed lives. That's what Paul and Timothy wanted for the Colossians. I'm sure that's what the Colossians wanted for themselves. It's what I want for me. And it's what I desperately want for you. And I'm sure it's what you want for yourself. But I also know that anyone who has ever tried to live this way for any amount of time knows that it doesn't take long before it can be confusing and overwhelming and exhausting and like no matter what you try, it doesn't work. So I want to read that again. Please, if at any moment in your Christian life you have come to a place where it's been confusing, overwhelming, exhausting, or like no matter what you tried, it doesn't work, can you just nod your head so I'm not alone? Yeah, okay. We've experienced that. I have some good news for you this morning. Paul and Timothy knew that too. Paul went through hard times, went through amazing suffering, but he didn't just shrug it off like it was no big deal. We see that in this passage, actually. If you go back to verse 9, it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And then everything we talked about. The reason given was not that the Colossians in verses 3 through 8 don't have faith and love, so Paul and Timothy are trying to get them started. In fact, what you find if you look through verses 3 through 8 is that the Colossians had such amazing faith and love that their reputation was going far and wide for having such an amazing faith and love. And when Paul and Timothy heard it, they started praying for their faith and love, not so that it would start, but so that it would continue. Paul and Timothy saw a need for prayer support when they saw a Christian living out faith and love. Now, what does that tell us? I think it tells us a lot, but one important thing it tells us is that living out your faith and love will often take a toll on you. You will have lots of other things to do on your practical to-do list. The world does not stop turning so that you can bear fruit in every good work. Soccer schedules and school days and work tasks don't vanish so that you can increase in your knowledge of the will of God. You're never going to get a job and see on PTO, this is a good reason for you to take time off. Increase in the knowledge of the will of God. That's not how it works. Not only that, but in this prayer, you see the goal, you see what we want, you don't see the struggles. This prayer lists the good things. It doesn't mention all the temptations, pain, twists and turns, arguments, hurt, and exhaustion you will feel as you work for this. The weight of life settles in, and it settles in quickly. We see that with the teens quite a lot. We call it a camp high. You go to a Christian camp, and you are taken out of your responsibilities, you're taken out of your routines, you're taken out of your temptations, and you are immersed in godliness and the Bible and prayer and a focus on Jesus Christ, and amazing things happen. I love camp ministry. But what we have seen over and again is that teens will come back into their routines and their regular responsibilities and their temptations, and the change stays, but it's a whole lot harder once you're back in your normal routines. Maybe you've experienced that with a worship service, where a particular sermon hits your heart and you feel like you'll never be the same. 
It may hit you stoically, it may hit you with emotions, it may hit you in intellectually, it may hit you emotionally, I'm not sure. But something feels different. But you know what it's like on Monday morning to start back up with your regular responsibilities and how quickly that passion fades. Our lives are often like snow globes where the things that we want and the things that we're working for float around at the top for a while and then they settle back towards the bottom where this life that we're working for and all the blessings of God fit into the nooks and crannies of life, the spare moments, the lowest rung of priorities. Something bad happens and it shakes up our snow globe again. And for a while, those things will last around the top or we'll hear a sermon and it'll shake us up and it'll last around the top, but eventually it floats back down to the bottom. The weight of life hits and it hits quickly. We've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, but we realize very quickly that we're still surrounded by the kingdom of darkness. And some days it feels mighty dark, which is why... What comes next in this verse is so critical for us to talk about. We need to talk about how we get there, not just what we're working for. The reality is that most of our exhaustion comes from not knowing, not remembering, or not acting on the knowledge of what this kind of life is supposed to look like and how we actually get there. Just because you're working for this doesn't mean it's going to happen. And if you're going about this the wrong way, that alone will be your source of exhaustion. What's supposed to give you strength will exhaust you. And that's an awful cycle to get into. That's why it's critical that we see what Paul and Timothy say next, that the third description of walking a worthy of the Lord is being strengthened. That they express here that a key aspect of living a life that matches our unity with Christ is being strengthened out of our unity with Christ. That's passive. We're not doing the work here. This isn't going to the spiritual gym for spiritual gains through spiritual pains. This is being strengthened by somebody else. That's not a popular or fun concept to admit that you are weak. But I want you to consider it for a moment. Try to think of an area of your life right now where you feel tired you feel exhausted, you feel like you can't keep going in that area. Think of something. Something where when you think about it, it turns your stomach, it makes you angry, or it makes your knees weak. Got something? What we find in those areas of life is usually a tension. Where we want it to be different, but we don't want to ask for help. Or if we're honest, we want help, but we won't ask for it. Or if it's offered, we may even turn it away. We may accept help for small things, but for the big things of life, the things that matter, the things that hurt, we'll stumble our way through them, fail through them again and again, and we would rather do that than get help. Why? Because it's humbling receiving help. I think the stereotypical example of this is a guy driving around, lost for hours, refusing to get directions. Uh, I think something that resonates with me a little bit more is when you have that pickle jar and the lid is stuck on top and you just, you keep trying to get at it, but no amount of strength is doing it and you gotta hand it over to somebody else. And you know that just little bit of shame that you feel handing it over to somebody else? Your pride takes just a little bit of a hurt to me, it's like that just magnified, magnified a thousand times. When I'm weak in my life, handing over the pickle jar of my problems hurts my pride. But that's exactly the problem that leaves us exhausted. It's because we're trying to live the Christian life without the Christian power that can't come from us. That's why we need this truth today. How do I keep living the right way? How do I please God with my actions? How do I produce fruit and be successful as a Christian? How do I grow in my relationship with God? By being strengthened, which means being dependent on somebody else's strength. And that someone is Christ. How do we get there to this transformed life? By being dependent and being strengthened by Christ. That's what he mentions here, that walking worthy means being strengthened. 
and not strengthened by your strength or doing your best or a little bit of strength from a friend, but being strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. This is what we mean when we talk as a church that we value triune dependence, that we have to rely on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit every day to live as Christians. In particular, in this passage, relying on God the Son. To be strengthened according to his glorious power points to a couple things. It points to our relationship with him. That there's not a drop of strength or power necessary for living well, pleasing him, doing good, bearing fruit, and growing in maturity that he himself does not willingly supply to any one of his people. According to his power points to the means of strengthening, that it's his might at work in you. Jesus promised that his grace is enough for us in our weakness because in our weakness, his strength is perfect, experienced the most. And being strengthened according to Christ's power points to the limit of the amount of strength we may experience, or more accurately, the lack of a limit. If this is God's power at work, what limit is there to the amount of strength that you could experience? What this tells us in no uncertain terms is that continued good works and fruit from those good works and a deeper and deeper relationship with God are results of Christ in you. Christ not only saved you, but it is his strength at work in you that is transforming you and energizing your ability to live as a Christian. You cannot live this way on your own. It is outside of your ability, but Jesus can, and Jesus did, and Jesus will in you. But we have to recognize that give, Jesus gives his strength for a reason. I think of it this way. I am only going to hand you my house key if you can verbally tell me back why I am giving you my house key. I'm not just going to give you my house key so that you can do whatever you want, but I will happily give you a house key for a specific reason. And as long as you agree to that reason, I will happily give you the house key. I think God is talking somewhat similarly and saying, I want to give you my strength. I want to be the key that unlocks this. But I'm only going to do it if you understand there's a reason why I'm giving you my strength. Jesus does not give his strength to make it easy. He doesn't give it to us simply to do, to succeed, to accomplish, to be successful, to triumph, to feel good, to escape, to be celebrated, or to win the day. Jesus gives his strength for something far more uncomfortable than that. Look at what it says. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience. The word patience is not typically what we think of as patience. Usually we think of the word patience as like outlasting a problem, like a passive force of resistance. This patience is an active force that doesn't wait out a problem. It goes through the problem. <clears throat> this patience is not a dam holding back water. This patience is a linebacker going through the defense. So perhaps a word that we're more comfortable with or understand a little bit more would be that Christ strengthens us to endure. That's the reason God wants to give you the keys to his strength, to be your strength when you are tired, to help you endure. When doing the right thing, when getting up another day to be obedient feels impossible, God is longing to strengthen you, not necessarily to escape or to be successful or to make it easy, but to endure. Not because he's incapable of the other, but because he wants you to endure, to keep going. When you're confused, don't know the way to go, feel you lack wisdom, want to give up, live your own way, feel like you can't do any more good, feel like the good isn't doing good anymore, and you can't make progress in your faith, God is there to help you endure, to keep going, to not quit, to finish the race. When the kingdom of darkness feels impenetrable and unbeatable, 
When it feels evil is winning at every turn. When circumstances feel like they'll kill you. When the trouble feels never ending. When the mountains are shaking. When the sky is falling. When the earth is falling out from beneath your feet. God is there to help you endure. Keep going. What's more is there's a specific kind of endurance God is strengthening us for. The wording used is that we're strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering. Long-suffering, there is the kind of idea that we usually think of with patience. It means holding on, holding out, waiting out, and staying faithful in the meantime. Christ strengthens us to endure patiently. To not just go through the problem. To go through it patiently. There's a kind of endurance that is grumpy, mean, downcast, irritable, selfish, and impatient along the way. That's not Christ's endurance. God is strengthening you for an endurance that is kind in the face of mockery, that is loving in the face of hate, that is thoughtful in the face of neglect, that does not respond in kind no matter how long the suffering goes on. That alone would be enough. But he continues and he says, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Christ strengthens us to endure joyfully. Again, there's a kind of endurance that may be patient. It's not nasty or mean, but it's dour and it's honestly kind of awful to be around. (laughs) It's not the kind of person you want to be with. Not so with Christ's endurance. This endurance sees beyond the immediate sorrows, beyond the immediate circumstances, beyond the immediate problems, to a day that is so bright and filled with light and to a sun that is so in charge and so glorious that we can't help ourselves but be giddy when we see him and his kingdom in our presence despite the circumstances. When our hearts and our minds are so wrapped up in his strength, that we can't stop ourselves from singing his praises through painful tears after the worst news on the worst day, even as we mourn the sin around us and the sin in us and long for the perfection of his coming kingdom. Real, true joy in the face of anything. There's one more aspect to this endurance. Admittedly, it borrows from the next description, but... We're being strengthened to walk worthy, and part of walking worthy is giving thanks. That Christ strengthens us to endure thankfully. Rather than bitterness and jealousy and vitriol and rivalry and anger on our lips, as we endure, there's meant to be praises. We give thanks in everything because our Father has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We know that what we are enduring right now is not all that there is, but that there is a sure and holy and perfect inheritance for us waiting for us on the other side. That inheritance is seeing the kingdom of God fully realized here on the earth and seeing all death wiped away and all sorrow wiped away and all tears wiped away and all sin wiped away forever, living in perfection with him. And we know we belong there even though it's not here yet because of what the Father has done in qualifying us for that. Your inheritance is sure, and because it is sure, you can know for a fact that what is now is not all that will be. More is coming. Better is coming. Best is coming. So we give thanks to our God in any moment because we know what he has planned for us, and nothing can touch it because it's the Father's who's giving it to us. Even more than that, this endurance is not just one that is thankful because it'll be over someday. It's thankful in the middle of it because God is with us. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. And there being a fourth in the fire, Christ being there with them. In the middle of your worst circumstances, you are not alone, and you can be thankful for that. 
Even more than that, God is using the worst moments of your life to remake you, to reshape you. And you could be thankful for that. So with all this talk, with Christ strengthening us to endure thankfully and patiently and joyfully, I want to ask you, do you feel strong? God strengthens his people. Do you feel strong? Good. I have a feeling there's a whole bunch of you, like me, who don't. I usually do not feel strong. I often feel like I am just barely making it. Like I am landing the plane in the last couple inches of the runway or taking off in the last couple inches of the runway. Or like I'm building the plane as we're flying. <laughs> yeah. It's possible you and I aren't feeling strong because we're using the wrong measure of strength. That we haven't been looking for the strength to endure, we've been looking for the strength to make it easy or the strength to make it about us. It's possible we don't feel strong because you haven't been accepting his strength to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish with his strength. We've been too busy trying to accomplish our own priorities, so we don't feel strong. But I think most likely, the reason why we often don't feel strong is because it's not God's purposes to make us feel strong. It's God's purposes to make us strong. I think we notice God's strength the most at night, laying in bed, thinking about the day that we just had, more than in the morning, laying in bed, thinking of the day we will have. You notice God's strength the most in what he just did, not looking forward to the problems that you're going to face. More than a feeling, we need to look to his strength. Look to him for him to give us his strength to endure patiently and joyfully and thankfully. And we can do that in a couple very specific ways that I want to cover fairly quickly. We need to look to him for strength by praying for his strength. We can't skip over the fact that this was a reported prayer from Paul and Timothy. And if Paul and Timothy felt they should pray for it for the Colossians, I should be praying it for you, and you should be praying it for me. We should be praying for each other, and you should be praying for yourself as well. That God would fill you with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding so that we would walk worthy, strengthened by him to do it. I personally am not sure that we should expect it if we're not interested enough in it to spend time asking for it. Secondly, we need to look to him for strength by seeking his wisdom. Remember where this all started, being filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom. James tells us that God has promised to give us wisdom whenever we ask for it, when we ask in faith. Sometimes all the strength that we really need is just the wisdom to know which way to go, what to do, or how to respond. So ask, and he will give liberally and without judgment. Third, we should look to him for strength by stepping out in faith. If we live our whole lives within confines and coffins of our comfort zones, we should not be surprised if we never experience his strength. You do not need God's strength to do what is comfortable for you to do in your own power. You want to experience God's strength? Choose willingly to do something you know you can't do, but that the Spirit is calling you to do. Next, look to him for strength by resting when he says to rest. Many of us are tired simply because when our good shepherd tells us to lie down in green, green pastures beside still, still waters, we refuse. He has called us to his side for rest, recognizing our weariness and promising rest. He has called us to himself and he offers his perfection as our own. His sacrifice put an end to our striving for self-reliance. He's designed us to sleep as an act of faith, and he promised to give rest to his people as a gift. I know overwork feels like the solution to problems, but I promise you it is the cause of so many more. God will not give you strength to work more than he's told you to. 
but he will give you strength in the rest he's promised you. Lastly, you should look to him for strength by using the strength he's already given you. Sometimes we want more strength to begin when he's given us enough strength to start. Our God often leads us one step at a time, and he usually provides at that pace so we don't get ahead of him. I found personally that he gives the most strength when I'm using the strength he already gave to do what he's already called me to do, rather than try to stockpile strength for something else. With just a little bit of time left, we need to talk about how this reveals Christ. The bottom line, the most important work has been done for you. What we're working for transformed lives. How we get there? By looking to our Lord for strength according to his vast reserves of power. But how exactly does Christ's strength in us reveal Christ to others? Admittedly, this comes a little bit outside of this text. It's more of an outworking of the truths that we've seen. And it relies on other passages of scripture. But I think it's important for us to talk about as we talk about shining the light. And the first way that Christ's strength in us reveals Christ to our community is that our good works reveal Christ. When Christ strengthens us to endure, we keep doing good works that bear fruit. And one fruit of our good works is that people see them and glorify our Father in heaven. Jesus provides and strengthens and sustains us to continue down the road of good works that the Father prepared for us before the foundation of the world so that people will see our good works and see the beauty and the goodness and the supremacy of Christ through us. If we had no more strength, we could do no more good works and people would no longer see God's goodness in us. But with Christ's strength, we can do more than we ever thought possible and see the fruit of God being glorified because of his strength at work in us producing good works. But that's not it. That's Matthew 5, but that's not it. Also, our endurance itself reveals Christ. The endurance as a result of Christ's strengthening becomes a noticeable sign of something miraculous at work in you. Just think for a second. Can you think of anything sticking out more in our culture than a bunch of God-fearers patiently and joyfully and gratefully enduring heated and wicked opposition as they spend their lives doing good works and bearing fruit in a dynamic, growing, personal relationship with their Savior? Can you get more countercultural than that? In a culture obsessed with self, self-affirmation, self-ownership, self-promotion, self-identity, self-expression, having hundreds of people in one area willing to deny self again and again and again and again. You do that and look to Jesus for strength and you endure. I promise you it will stick out. It will be noticeable. People will ask, why would you deny yourself like that? You should see my God. He's worth it. Well, how do you keep doing that? Isn't that painful? Yeah, it is, but you should see my God. He's strong enough for this. He's got me. I promise you, it will show your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, and even your church Christ's worth in your obedience, his power in your strength, and his beauty in your example. When you refuse to bail out when exhausted, refuse to turn to sin, but turn to Christ instead, and you receive strength from him, and follow in his steps, and follow in his leadership, your good works will shine like stars against a dark night sky. And your endurance will be a supernatural sign Christ is in you, unmistakably. The Lord of light will shine his light in you so that his light shines out of you into a kingdom of darkness. Yeah, I think that will reveal Christ. So if I can summarize all of this, I would put it this way. Jesus strengthens us so we can endure in ways that reveal him. 
this is what's been on my heart. I've been turning to this passage again and again, thinking about this every time I'm tired. And what I come away with every single time is not, wow, I can do it now. But I walk away is, what a savior. Isn't he wonderful? I don't know how you could possibly see these truths and walk away not being amazed with his plan and his purposes and his power. So I want to ask you, will you turn to him for strength? In those areas of life where you are exhausted, will you look to him? Will you look to him to make you more patient than you've ever been? More joyful, more thankful in the face of any obstacle, evil, or exhaustion? Will you? Because we need you. We need your help to shine the light in a dark world. What I want to do is I want to close with just an opportunity for us to respond to what we've seen. I want to ask that we all bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to give you a moment to quietly speak to God and ask him for strength to endure in whatever areas of life have come to your heart this morning. I'm just going to give you like 30 seconds. Talk to God. Ask him for strength. Turn to him. Worship him in light of what we have seen. And then I'll close this in a word of prayer. Go for it. Talk to God. Father, you are mighty with a strength like no other. We believe with all our hearts that all opposition and all obstacles pale in comparison to you. Nothing can stand in your way. We know that our exhaustion too doesn't stand a chance against you. When we feel we can't go another moment more, we know you are with us. Father, please strengthen us for your glory and your purposes, that we might live our lives closely dependent on you, living in ways that are pleasing to you, doing good, bearing fruit, and growing closer and closer to you. Please give us strength for one more good work, and then another, and then another, and then another. As we look forward to all you have in store for us in this coming year of serving to shine the light together, help us to only ever do it completely dependent on you. Guide us, Father, and strengthen us for your name's sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.